Alright, so Galatians Let me just do a quick review real quick uh, The first two chapters First two chapters in Galatians he, he was basically Defending his apostleship He was defending his Right to teach them the gospel uh, The people that had come in Who were the people that he's Concerned about in Galatia that were messing everything up. Right. The people who were teaching that the gospel was not enough for you to be righteous before God. You also had to keep the laws, the Jewish food laws, circumcision, the, all those things that had been part of uh, been part of God's people uh, for so long. And so they had come in and they were telling the people, you know, Jesus is good. The cross is good. Salvation is good. But if you really want to be right with God, you have to add to the cross. You have to add circumcision and food laws and tradition and all these different laws. And Paul spent the lion's share of Galatians telling us, no, 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 that's not true. That's not the way it is. Jesus is enough. His cross is enough. His death and resurrection is enough to make you right before God. And so... The, uh, the the last thing we looked at, remember, in chapter 4 was that uh, he, he compared the law and the gospel to the two covenants made with, uh, he compared, remember he compared Hagar to Sarah. I'm not going to run all back through that, but he said that we are not of those, those of us who trust in the gospel, we're not of those who are slaves like Hagar's children. We are freed. <laughs> And the Jerusalem that is above is our mother. And so uh, he was contrasting the people who desire to live under the law and be righteous before God by the law. They're the ones who are enslaved to the law. And it says, but we who are righteous by grace through faith in Jesus, we're free. And so we're, we're freed from the law. The condemnation of the law is not hanging over our head anymore. Uh, now, remember, does that mean that now I'm free to go and murder and commit a Adultery and all those. No, of course not. That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the condemnation of the law for our sin is no longer hanging over our head. A slave works in order to, in order to, of course, obey their master. But uh, a slave or a worker works to uh, to earn their way. Let's put it that way. While the person who lives by the Spirit works in the same way. <laughs> But he works because he has been free. That makes sense. Is there any questions on Galatians so far before we move into chapter 5? Chapter 5 and chapter 6 are going to start getting practical. This is where he starts saying, okay, this is how we live. Now that we know that we are living under grace rather than by the dictates of the law. So we're gonna get, he's going to get real practical. No questions? Nobody want to say nothing? Good? Last opportunity. Where's Valerie? <laughs> the only reason I ask that is because... Huh? The only reason I ask that is because I was making a conscious effort to... When Valerie would ask a question, I'm going to go, Yes, Valerie, can... <laughs> is that worse? Yeah. Okay. But I, I just happened to... No, I didn't. I didn't. Where's Barbara? Down. Okay, well then what, are you, then what are you worried about? But Valerie says that I, I say what? And I'm very, when she asks questions, I'm, I'm not, I don't mean to be. You write her off of Sunday school. 
Dera? No, no, no. She, she is definitely a blessing. Yes, she is. All right. So, chapter five. We're going to read uh, verses one through twelve, but. this is where he gets practice. He's going to say, okay, now you know you're free. You're free in Christ. You're free to, you know, as far as Jewish laws were concerned, you're free to either eat meat or not eat meat. Whatever you want to do, you're free to eat. You know, pork, I love bacon. So, you know, you're free to eat that or not eat that. You're free to, you know, you your righteousness before God does not depend on anything that you do or that you don't do. Okay? So that's his point. And so what he's going to tell them is, now that you realize that you're free, you need to stand in that freedom. It says, uh, verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Now he's saying, he's telling them, look, you need to make sure that you keep yourself from... Running back off into slavery. What's the yoke of bondage that he's talking about? The law. What specifically about the law was the yoke of bondage that they were in danger of running back into? Not a trick question. What was the danger that he was trying to warn them about? Right. Now, again, we've talked about this several times, but you think anybody will ever come up to you and say, hey, you got to be circumcised in order to be right before God? Maybe, but probably not. What are they going to add to the gospel in our day, in our context? Works. Works? Like what? They do your work. They do good deeds, or they do this, or they do that. Yeah. The kingdom of God, and that's going to get a higher place, but that's... Right. That's right. And so, I think the greatest application that I find in my own life about when he says stand in freedom and don't let anybody try to bring you back into bondage, it has to do with our trusting in Christ and the fact that, you know, we talked about a little last week that when, when I do something wrong, when I do something bad, the Holy Spirit convicts me because the Holy Spirit lives inside of me of that I've done something wrong. But if I go off the deep end and forget the gospel and think that God is looking at me based on how good I'm doing or my performance, what's going to happen when I mess up? You're going to be, you're going to be destroyed. I mean. Yeah, you'll go off the deep end thinking, oh, God doesn't love me anymore, and I'm not his child anymore, and I've got to work to get myself back to the, you know, and that is not the gospel. But on the flip side of that, what happens when I do something good? I'll be thinking, ooh, God's proud of me. I didn't, I've got it going on. I wish, I don't even know what's wrong with all y'all. Why can't y'all be good like I am? Why can't y'all be godly like I am? That's, that's the thinking you'll have if you start thinking that my performance is what, is what, uh, keeps my relationship with God steady. Does that make sense? It's not your performance. It's Jesus Christ and what He did. He died on the cross and was raised from the dead so that when God looks at me, because I am a born-again believer, when He looks at me, He sees the perfection of Jesus. 
Not how good I'm doing, not how bad I'm doing, not any of those things. Does that give me a license to go and do bad? No, and we're going to see that next week. At the end of this chapter, Paul is going to specifically tell us that you are free in Christ, but don't use that freedom as a license for the flesh. And he's going to go through all that. But right now, he's making his case and he's telling them, look, you need to stand fast. That's not just a one-time thing. I'm standing fast in freedom. That's a lifestyle. Uh, in, I mean, I'll spare you the Greek lesson, but it, it, the present tense, when you say a present, t- a present tense verb in the Greek language has a continuous aspect, which means that it's a lifestyle. It's a continuous process. It's, a, it's an ongoing way of life. It's a habitual thing. It's over and over again. So if you were translating that into modern English, you might say, keep on standing firm. And keep on resisting being going back to the to the uh, being entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And then here's the reason. And these are some really these are some really profound verses right here. So feel free to let's talk about it. If you don't understand something, speak up and we'll we'll discuss it. It says verse two says, "Behold, I Paul say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing." For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Now, that's some serious consequences, isn't it? What we're not we're not talking about this is not there's some issues where we can say, you know what? We can just agree to disagree about that. You know, I understand you got your way and I got my way and you know, it's no use fighting over that. We're not going to solve it today. This is not one of those issues. When we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about salvation. We're talking about how God makes men righteous. Uh, he's talking about if you're adding one little thing, if you add one tiny little thing to the gospel of Christ, you destroy the gospel of Christ. Does that make sense? You see how that functions? Circumcision was not that big a deal. I mean, for a 42-year-old, it'd be a big deal. But for them, you know, it's not... I could see people saying, you know what, Paul? Look, Paul, you're just going a little overboard with all this, right? I mean, it's just a minor disagreement that we have. We both agree that Jesus is the Savior. We both agree that He's the Messiah and that He died on the cross and that He rose again. The only difference between me and you is I say that a person has to be circumcised in addition to faith in order to be right before God. And so it's really not that big a deal. Well, Paul says, no, it really is that big a deal because if you are circumcised, what he's saying is if you're trusting that your circumcision is adding to your righteousness before God, then you are nullifying the work of Christ on the cross. You see that? Does that make sense? What he says in verse 2, he says, If you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now, what do you think, what do you think he was what do you think he means when he says Christ shall profit you nothing? A lot of people, huh? Yeah, in your life that means his death was not good enough. Yeah, well, that's what you're saying if you choose to be circumcised. You're saying that Jesus' death is not good enough to make me right. And if you say 
that Jesus' death is not good enough to make me righteous, then you are denying the gospel itself. And so... It's also saying that you, you no longer stand on faith, but you, you stand fully on the law. Because everything that Christ did was done by, by a, a love of faith. Right. Grace through faith. Right. And I think Paul's going to make that exact point in, what, 6? He says, if you add anything to the gospel, then you're a debtor to the whole law. Now, the people who would be adding to the gospel probably wouldn't agree with that. You know, it's just a little difference. I mean, it's just one little thing I'm adding. I mean, it's not like I'm denying Jesus. Paul would say, yes, you are denying Jesus. Do you think they had the mindset of if I do it, that's even better? Yeah. If you... That they were adding to it, replacing it. Yeah, I think that's exactly the mindset. Their mindset was... Uh, They're trying to boost themselves. Well, you might you, you might as well have all the bases covered. You know what I mean? Reminds me of Fred Sanford episode where he's getting on the airplane and uh, he's terrified of flying. And Lamont says he's got his big chain and it's got like the cross and the star of David and the, it's got all these deal all these things. He says, "You're a Baptist. What do you got all that?" He said, "Ten thousand feet. I'm gonna have all my bases covered." <laughs> And that's kind of what they were saying was, you know, what could it hurt? I mean, go on and go on and we'll just keep the law too. And, you know, that would, that's got to be better than just, you know, just we'll have Christ and we'll have the righteousness of the law. Is that what we do today? Some people replace baptism with that, the circumcision. Replace circumcision with baptism? Yeah. You know, I mean, they, like today, you know, they don't focus on circumcision, but they focus on, like, you know, baptism. baptism. Yeah. And even on something, you know, that baptism is what saves you, not the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Well, they would never say that baptism is what saves you. They're doing the exact same thing. I'm, you're absolutely right. But they would never say baptism is what saves you. They would say baptism is just part of the ingredients of what saves you. You got to have grace, got to have faith, got to have repentance, got to have baptism. And that's exactly what they were saying here. They were saying, got to have grace, got to have faith, got to have Jesus, got to have circumcision. And Paul says, if you add circumcision to what Christ did on the cross, you're nullifying what Christ did on the cross. Because it's either all of Christ or it's nothing. You can't have... Okay, you can't you can't mix grace and works. Um, I probably need to qualify that a little bit, but if you introduce works at all in any way, in any shape, any form, any level to grace making you righteousness before God, then grace is no longer grace. Does that make sense? Because even if it's a tiny bit of works, it still means that at some level, at some percentage, you're earning righteousness before God. Make sense? So what he's saying is, basically he's saying if you add any work... Even something as small as circumcision to the gospel, then you are saying that Jesus is not sufficient to save you from your sins. 
And that's what they were, that's what the whole argument was about. He was saying, he was saying you can't have it both ways. It nullifies what Christ did and it indebts you to the whole law. You can't just, you can't just say, you know, I'm just adding this one little thing because Paul said in verse, in verse uh, four, he said, or verse three, he said, I testify again to you, every man that is circumcised, that he is a debtor to the whole law, to do the whole law. He says, you can't just add this little bitty element of circumcision and say, well, we're just adding this tiny thing. No, when you add that tiny thing, that opens the door for the whole law to come rushing through. And now if you're going to be justified by the law, you got to keep the whole thing. You got to keep. The Ten Commandments perfectly. You got to keep all the hundreds and hundreds of uh, Jewish purity laws, and I mean, you've got to keep every single law. And if you open the door and let all that come rushing through, you've basically destroyed what Christ did on the cross. There was no reason for Him to even come and die on the cross if you're going to go right back to the same old stuff that uh, He brought you out of. Does that make sense? Is there any questions? Do you see how that works today? I have a question about verse 6. Okay, we're not at verse 6 yet. I got to stop that. I'm not going to do that. Okay. Okay. Let's read it and then you ask. For we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything or uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Okay. My question is, is that most people this day and time view love as the mushy-gushy feeling. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what they meant here. I think here that love was an, an active verb. You know, that it was something that was worked for. You know, Christ showed his love by what he did, not how he felt. Okay. I, mean, do you I don't have no that? trouble with that. The faith that works by love. That worketh by love. Yeah. And, and not, not, you know, because Brother Eddie preaches all the time, you know, take feelings out of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of people associate love with that feeling. Emotion. Any mm-hmm. emotion, right. But, I mean, do, do you think here that it was by any emotion, or do you think it was by an active verb, like, oh, <laughs> Well, no, no, I don't think, I think the faith working by love is, is, I mean, yeah, it's an action for sure. I mean, it's actually a noun in that sentence, but the, the love is, love is not just an emotion, it's an action. So that's absolutely correct. Um, and the faith that worketh by love here, it's talking about the love that, I, this is my opinion, I mean, that the love that God puts in your heart, it is... See, he's contrasting. He's contrasting works through the whole through this whole section. He's going to contrast works by the law and works by the spirit. And so, what he what he's saying is, and there's a there's actually a, a verse in chapter six that almost says the exact same thing. Uh, look at verse chapter six, verse fifteen. It says. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. See where he replaces faith working by love through a new creature? So I think that he's talking, in both sections, I think he's talking about the love that we have for Christ works works itself out. Does that make sense? Like, uh, it is active, so you're absolutely right in, in your question. But... We don't work because we're under the law. We work out of love for Christ because He put that in our hearts. Does that make sense? 
We have become a new creature. We have been indwelled by the Spirit. And so Paul's whole argument in chapter 5 and chapter 6 is going to be that we are working by the Spirit and not by the letter of the law. Does that make sense? If we live by the Spirit, we will fulfill the law. Because the fulfillment of the law is found in one word, which is... Who read the rest of the chapter? Nobody? Love. It says later in this chapter, it says that it, the whole law is summed up in love your neighbor as yourself. You know, and Jesus told us that the whole law is summed up in love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Paul is going to say to them, he's going to say, look, I'm not telling you that we're free in Christ. Therefore, you can go live any way you want to and do whatever you want to. He said, I'm not teaching you that. He said, I'm teaching you that we are free from the law so that we can live by the spirit and fulfill the law out of love rather than fear. That makes sense. So, rather than if if we were still under law, I would walk out of here today, uh, go about the rest of my week, and to be honest with you, if I'm unless I'm an idiot, I would be afraid uh, of failing, afraid of my sin popping up, afraid of my flesh, afraid of. What if I screw up today and God dumps me, you know, or throws me out? I mean, I would live constantly in fear because I know my own heart and my own heart is sinful. Um, Unless you're just delusional, uh, your heart is sinful as well. I mean, there are some people who go around thinking they never sin, but you you only got to hang out with them for 10, 15 minutes before you realize that ain't true. But uh, the, uh, the... My heart is sinful, and so if I was depending on the law to make me righteous before God, I would be walking on eggshells my whole life, and I would still fail. uh, James says that, you know, it's not just about doing bad, it's about not doing good. The man who knows what's right and doesn't do it, to him it's sin. And so think about all the opportunities that God has for you to do good, to do righteousness, to be a testimony, to be a witness, to do just whatever that we don't take. Uh, all those are sin. You know, of course, you've heard me say a million times that every time that the clock ticks, a second hand on the clock ticks and you don't love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you're sinning. And so if I was depending on law to keep me righteous before God, I would be afraid. I would be afraid at all times. But because I'm depending on Christ to keep me righteous before God, I live by the Spirit. And I don't have a spirit of fear, but I have a spirit of what? Love. Love and of power and of sound mind. And so I go out today, tomorrow, whatever, because I've been born again, because I have a new heart that desires God, desires His ways, I will want to follow His ways. I will want to keep the law. I will desire to keep the law. I want to live the way he wants me to live. But I go and I keep the law. I'm talking about the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the thou shalt nots. I do that out of love, not out of fear. Does that make sense? Do y'all see that, what I'm talking about? It's a freedom, not for me. I'm not free to sin. I'm free not to sin. I'm free to go out and follow Christ 
because of the heart of love He's placed in me, because of the desire He's placed in me, rather than following Christ, biting my fingernails all the time, hoping that Daddy's not going to throw me out of the house. See what I mean? Does that make sense? And so He's saying, look... Whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised, and he kind of focuses on circumcision, but I hope you know that that was, that was the ritual, that was the, the covenant sign, so to speak. Uh, it could be anything for us. Uh, but he says, whether it's circumcision or uncircumcision, it, it doesn't make any difference. It doesn't make any difference whether you're circumcised or not circumcised. It doesn't make any difference what work that you add or don't add, what things that you do or don't do. The only thing that matters is that your heart has been changed by God. You're born again. Your heart has been changed by God and that you work out of the love that's been placed in your heart. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? So... We're not saying, not saying, he is not saying that, hey, we're free in Christ, let's go party, you know, and do whatever we want to do. Let's go cheat on our wives and murder and rob banks. That's not at all what he's saying. In fact, in the, the very next section, he's going to list the works of the flesh. And he's going to say, those who do these don't enter into the kingdom of heaven. He is talking about following God, following Christ, doing what God has commanded us to do out of a heart of love rather than fear of the law. Okay? Y'all with me? Any questions, comments? Verse 5 and 6, which we just read, that's what standing in freedom looks like. It says, we by the Spirit wait for the hope of the righteousness by faith. We're not trying to get that. Remember, this goes back, this is why I hate, we need to just meet for like 12 hours and do the whole book all at once. Because when you, when you, uh, when you break it up into weeks, you kind of forget last week. Right before this section, he talked about Abraham. Remember, Abraham didn't wait on the promise of God. I mean, he ended up did waiting, but he didn't wait on the promise of God for a son. He tried to get it his own way when he got with Hagar and tried to, you know, tried to have a baby because Sarah couldn't have a baby. So he tried to tried to work it out where by his own actions he could kind of speed up the promise. That's what they were doing here. Was instead of instead of trusting in Christ, being molded and made by Christ, being being changed by Him through their daily lives, they were trying they were trying to hurry up and get righteousness. And the way to do that is to get circumcised. That's what they were being told. And Paul says in verse five, he says, "No, no, we who are in grace, we're the ones who wait for the promise, like Abraham was supposed to when he was supposed to wait for Sarah to have Isaac. Um, we're the ones that wait for the promise. We're waiting uh, as we're molded by the Holy Spirit, and we we work." by faith, okay? Questions, comments, cries of outrage? No? Okay, moving on then. If we're going to stand in freedom, we have to stand against the people who corrupt the gospel. We have to stand against false teaching. Uh, Verse 7, verse 7 through 11, I think the rest of this section, we'll stop at verse 12, but Verse 7 through 11, he is going to describe those who corrupt the truth. Uh, Verse 7 says, You did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Now, when Paul left them, remember, Paul started these churches in Galatia. And so when he left them, they were running well. What do you think he means when he says running well? 
Put it in context of what we've been talking about, what the letter's about. They would have been practicing those Jewish rituals. Right. Well, they were trusting in grace. They were trusting in grace. Paul had preached to them. They had been saved. They were walking in the Spirit. They were doing everything the way they were supposed to be doing it. They weren't perfect people. We're not talking about sinless here. Uh, but they were, they were trusting in the Gospel. But then somebody came along and hindered them. And who was that? Right. Those religious folks who were trying to add religious works to the gospel. Uh, they stopped them from running well. Uh, and what he's going to show is that these folks, the people who deny the gospel are not from God. Uh, it doesn't matter who they are. It says, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that called you. Remember what Paul said in Galatians chapter 1. He said, if any man preach a different gospel, let him be accursed. he said, let him be accursed. Now, do you think that the Judaizers, the people who were infiltrating the church here, do you think that they would agree that they're preaching a different gospel? No. What do you think they would say? The full gospel. I sure hear that a lot nowadays. Yeah. That's exactly what they were saying. They were saying Paul is right insofar as he goes. But Paul doesn't preach the full gospel. I love that phrase. There was a group of ladies that came by here one time when I was stationed in the office, you know, before I started working at the hospital and they come by and they just wanted to tour the church because their daughter was getting married here. That was back when we used to rent the building out to whoever. Uh, they didn't go to church or nothing. And they said, of course, we're looking. Oh, it's beautiful. Look at sanctuary. You know, giving them a tour. Everything's fine. And right before they left, they said, do y'all, do y'all preach the full gospel here? And I said, well, we preach the only gospel. <laughs> I mean, at the time, I really didn't know what she was talking about. You know, and she says, well, she said, I don't remember exact, her exact words, but something about, you know, she said something like, well, you know, the gospel is, is the gospel, but you also need to add this, this, and this to make it the full gospel. And I said, well, it sounds to me like you got some pages stuck together in your Bible. <laughs> and so... They didn't have their they didn't have their wedding here. They got that was back when I wasn't as genteel as I am now. Um, but anyway, she that's exactly what they were saying. That's exactly what they were saying was Paul's preaching right. He just isn't going far enough. He's not going far enough. Everything he told you is correct. Grace, Christ, faith, believing in him, all those things are correct. The only thing you're missing now. To make this thing complete is let's get circumcised. Come on, I got the knife. Let's go. <laughs> and so and that's what they were saying. They would never have said this is a different gospel. Paul's wrong. He has taught y'all all wrong. This is not the way it's supposed They would have never said that. They would have always said, now we're, we're preaching the same gospel. We just have a little different viewpoint of the, you know, the way. And isn't that the way it is today? Like, it's just, you know, people want to add so many things to grace. They want to add so many things to faith. They want to make sure that if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be righteous and religious, 
you need to look like me and you need to act like me and you need to do all the things I do. And if you're not doing all the things that I do, well, then you must not be a Christian. You must not be saved. You must not be whatever. When the reality is that grace is completely undeserved. And if we add anything, anything, I don't care what it is. I don't care what kind of deal it is. You know, if you add anything to it, you destroy what grace is. Um, And he's going to say that. He's going to say, a little leaven leaven the whole lump. Now, I know y'all have heard that a million times, that verse quoted. I've quoted it a million times. Uh, What is he talking about in the context of this chapter when he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump? If you add anything to the gospel, it ruins it all. That's right. He's saying, you know, y'all know what leaven is. It's like what yeast. And now, okay, who cooks with yeast and makes their own bread and all that kind of stuff? Somebody tell me what happens. All right, explain it. The yeast has got to be a certain temperature for the water for the bread to rise. Okay. Without it, you can't make good bread. Okay, but what happens when you do? You have to have. The same amount of yeast if you, as you have bread? No. Do you do flour? No. Whatever. <laughs> no. Don't correct me when I'm talking about making bread. It takes very little yeast to rise one of the bread. Why does it take very little yeast? Because it is hard work. Because it's what? I said it's hard work. You introduced, I used to, I never, ma- I never made any bread, but my mom used to make this Amish bread where you just, I don't know what you do, but it's good. <laughs> but I do know that you have to take something out of it to make another batch. And then when you make a batch, you have to take some out to make another, you know, that kind of stuff. And so the point he's making is that, huh? A starter. That technical name for it? Yes. Star- okay. All right. So anyway, okay, enough about bread. <laughs> the point is, and y'all know this, we all know this, is that if you introduce a little yeast to flour or whatever, that yeast is going to spread through the whole thing until it takes over. Yep. And that's what, I assume that's what causes the bread to rise. The yeast. Yes. Okay. And so what he's saying is, look, if you introduce, you introduce in this, in this context, circumcision, you introduce this small little deal into grace, it's going to infect the whole thing. It's going to take over the whole thing, and pretty soon you're just going to be law. It's going to be all law. Once you introduce, what it says out of the Amplified version, I usually don't read it, but it's, it points it out very well. It says, "A little leaven, a slight inclination to error, or a few false teachers, leavens the whole lump. It perverts the whole conception of faith, or misleads the entire church." It says all that? It says all that. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but that's what it says? No, no. I I don't have the amplified version, so I'm not looking that up. I'm looking at, I want to look in the... No. Read that again. A little bit. A slight inclination to error. That, okay, it's in parentheses. A slight inclination to error or a few false teachers, parentheses. Leavens the whole lump. Oh, so that's not part of it. reverts the whole perception of faith and misleads the whole church. So it's breaking down 
Is that okay? Is that what the Amplified Bible does? Yeah. So the parenthesis, I was saying, I was saying. Now I've read that Greek text. I don't think all that's in there. I don't. I mean, I don't disagree with what he's saying, but I should. The parenthesis is explaining the text. Yeah. Oh, okay. But good. Read it. Read it one more time with that understanding. A little leaven, a slight inclination to error for a few false teachers. That's the little... Slight inclination of error or a few false teachers is... the whole lump. And then it says, it perverts the whole conception of faith and misleads the whole church. That's what mine says. That's lit, huh? That's what mine says. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I got King James in it. And so now I don't. I have Amplified must be like giving commentary on. It kind of does, and I use huh. it all the time. But sometimes on short verses like that, it gives you a bigger broad. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what he's talking about. Is that the leaven is the false teachers, the Judaizers, the ones who would introduce some kind of works to the to the community of faith to grace and when you do that he's already told us that you can't keep it as just one little thing you know it's just one little thing we disagree with you'll never keep it that way because once you do that you're subject to the whole law so it's like that little leaven is kicking the door in and all the all the bread's coming in you know all the all the laws coming in and so it really gives us Forget about, for just a second, forget about arguing with somebody else about the gospel. Arguing with somebody else. Think about in your own heart, in my own heart and mind. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm out in the world and I'm going to school or I'm going to work or whatever it is you do, uh, you just daily routine. When you go and do that, you have, to, you have to view everything that you are, everything that you do through the gospel. Because if you don't, you're going to get off kilter. What I mean by that is when, like I said, you're going to do good things, you're going to do bad things. You're going to make mistakes and mess up and sin. You're going to do great things for God. You're going to work for His kingdom. You're going to do good things that are are commanded and expected of you. But either way, if you allow your heart to start thinking on the one hand that I am adding to my righteousness by my good works... Or on the other hand, that my my mess-ups, my bad works, my sins, my mistakes are taking away from my righteousness. Either way, that one little leaven has kicked in the whole door of your salvation and allowed law just to come rushing through and take over everything. You see how that works? You see how that would be? Because now all of a sudden, if I think this this one, it wasn't that big of a deal, but this one little thing diminished my relationship with God, diminished my standing before God, then that starts me examining all the other things that I do. And then tomorrow, if I don't make an A, then man, my relationship really must be bad. Must be, you know, and it just kicks in the door to pretty soon, you've got to keep the law perfectly and you've got to do it absolutely perfectly every single single day, every single minute of every single day. And if you don't, then your relationship is null and void. You see how that would kick in the door of your life and it would just let law just come rampant through there. But we understand that we can't add or take away not a single thing from God's grace. 
And when you do that, you become these people that Paul is arguing against. He's saying, do not let them, do not allow yourself to go back into slavery. It's what he said in the very first verse. He says, in little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. And then verse 10, and we're almost done. I think it's about time anyway. Oh, it's past time. we got to go. It says, 10 says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded. I have confidence in you, Galatians, that you will understand what I'm telling you because you have the Spirit of God. But he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whoever he be. Now imagine... This letter is getting read in the congregation. And the people who are troubling them are in the congregation. I can imagine some guy that had been listening to Joe tell him all about circumcision when this is read out in the congregation. He says, those people are going to be judged. He looks up and says, oh. <laughs> and then the greatest statement I think I've ever read in Scripture is verse 12. Not because it is, but just because I like it. It says, I would they were even cut off which trouble you. How many of y'all read my outline? I know none of y'all read it. You know how I know? Did you read it? Yeah, that's why you sent it to me. I know that's why I sent it to you, but did you read it? Did you read it too, Miss Elaine? I read it. Okay. So that's two of y'all. You did too? Oh, you go caring with your bad self. I just need to be more optimistic, don't I? Yeah. Okay. The word, the Greek word for cut off there... It's, I mean, I can tell you the Greek word, but you wouldn't care. But it means to make somebody, in, in Deuteronomy 32, it's used in the Greek Old Testament to... Make it ready. Yeah. <laughs> to, to turn a rooster into a hen, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? And so what he's saying is, these guys are standing over you with a knife trying to circumcise you, I wish they'd just gone and cut themselves off. You know what I mean? He's saying, he's saying, it's that, I mean, he's making a statement that's just absolutely offensive. That's absolutely, I mean, I can imagine eyeballs getting big in the congregation. He's trying to get their attention. Yes, and he's done this before in Galatians. We talked about how Paul was really frustrated and is short and choppy and he's, He's, uh, he's, he's marveling that they've turned away from the gospel. Emphasizing how serious he is. Yes, yes. They they have misrepresented the truth. Uh, did I skip verse 11? Yeah. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? They were misrepresenting him. They were saying, now, you Gentiles, y'all need to know that when Paul's preaching to the Jews, he preaches circumcision. And that's what they were saying. Paul said, no, 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 no. He said, if I do do, if I, I said, do, do, do. Uh, if I do, if I also do that, he said, if I do that, then why are the Jews persecuting me so bad? If that were true, then I wouldn't be under persecution. So they misrepresent the truth. And then finally at the end, he said, you know, they just need, I wish they'd just go and let the knife slip. And emasculate themselves. Yeah, that's a big good one. That's how serious he is. That's how. I love how you put yikes at the end here. Yeah. That's how serious that he is. He is serious that I will not allow these people to corrupt the gospel of Christ. I would rather that they make eunuchs out of themselves than to preach what they're preaching. You cannot add to grace. We've gone over time, but does that make sense? Any questions? Okay. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for this day and for your mercy. Thank you for...
the letter to the Galatians. I pray that you would just help us not only just to be founded and, uh, and established in the grace that you've given to us, but to, to walk in that grace and to be assured of that grace and to live in that grace.